Wake the kids and phone the neighbors. It is time for Hustle is the Hack podcast. That is right. It is the Hustle is the Hack podcast. The time, well, the time where we get to learn about stuff, which is always exciting. Always exciting. Love to learn. Welcome to Hustle is the Hack podcast. I am Pierre Hulsebus. During this podcast, we're going to help you get your customer game on, your selling game. I'm going to help you identify, acquire, and retain the most valuable business asset you can have today. What is that? What is that, you may be asking? Well, it is a customer. That's right. Customers, without them, nothing is going to happen. You just have a club of grumpy people. That's not a fun business to be in, right? No, nothing. Nothing happens until somebody sells something, and it all starts with customers. And sadly, it comes to an end when you don't have any more customers. So whoever dies with the most customers wins. That's right. How do I do this? Well, I take the latest innovation in business and take proven methods and models and to add a pinch of my 30 years of technology sales experience and put that all together in my patent pending Pierre stack of stuff. That's right. You can read my blog. You can hang out with me on my podcast. You can even kind of see me on my burgeoning YouTube channel. That's right. My name is Pierre Hulsebus. Welcome to Hustle is the Hack. We'll be back right after this message. From our sponsor. Hey guys, I'm always getting asked about my podcast and and how do you get to make it and you know what tools are you using to get online and get your ideas out there? Well, let me tell you, if you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, it's by far the easiest way to make a podcast today. Everything you need is all in one place. Let me explain. Anchor has the tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And then hosting, which is kind of actually technically relatively complicated. They do all of that stuff and distribute all that stuff. Guess what? For F-R-E-E, they do all of that. It's uh, Spotify. You'll see your podcast show up on Apple, on Stitcher, all these great platforms. Everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And best of all, did I mention that it's free? So here's how you do it. You go to the Anchor app. Go to the App Store. Just put in Anchor. Or you can go to the anchor.fm and you can get started right away. Thanks to our sponsor, Anchor. All right, we are back. Thank you to our sponsor. Our sponsor is Anchor. That's how this all began, actually. The Anchor podcast uh, system is really fantastic. If you have not, uh, if you're thinking of a podcast, man, that's the place to go. It's really, really good. Um, They make it about as easy as you can get it. Holy cow. I've been very, very pleased with that. Well, welcome to the sales cafe. Uh, first, uh, we're going to have uh, we're going to sit back here and we're going to talk about customers today. 
customer service. You know, we've talked, we talk a lot about selling. Selling is important. You know, you got to sell and you got to, you know, that's the, um, uh, the, the part of uh, acquiring customers is sales. That's an important part. Identifying customers. That's kind of your marketing effort. And uh, retention really about customers, and we've talked about this in the past, is one of the really secret weapons that it comes to being a profitable business. It's it's one thing to have a high growth business in terms of customer acquisitions. And you go through different phases and different times and season in your business where you kind of move your, let's say, investments and you focus more or less on different parts of the business. Sometimes it's all about acquiring new customers. And so, you know, really you you push the gas on sales and and uh, different times you, you do that. Other times you really need to focus on retention and uh, keeping your customers happy and uh, finding out maybe why they're leaving or just taking care of them. Part of our uh, product often is the service experience that customers have. And many customers actually, that is the reason why they come back is the service experience that they get. If you ever visited someplace like Disneyland or a really high quality hotel, um, you know, uh, fancy kind of hotels, that's kind of the service that they're trying to give you, that kind of world-class service. And uh, that is, uh, that's the idea to retain you and have you talk about, um, you know, how awesome that experience was. Uh, Walt Disney knew this really, really well. He was very good at this uh, component, actually, in his um, early on uh, when the Disneyland uh you know, place was built, they wanted to build a, make a souvenir book. And so, you know, the different souvenir books that people, uh, you know, made uh, internally and kind of pitched to him, he was like, don't, these are cheap. And uh, they're like, well, yeah, but you gave us a certain price point, you know, it can't be more than like, I don't know, $3 or something like that. <clears throat> and he was like, I don't care if we lose money on these and they actually lost money on those, but because every person that went home uh, would put that book on their, you know, kind of coffee table and it would become an opportunity for them not only to remember the awesome trip that they had, but to basically sell the trip to their friends to say, man, you guys should take your family. It was a great experience and we had such an awesome experience. And so, Sometimes customer service and kind of, um, you know, exuding a great customer experience is really the reason why some customers want to be, you know, part of your, they want to be customers. They want to be customers because they were treated so, so well. I, I can attest to this. I am a frequent business traveler and I'm a, I'm a unabashed uh, Delta fan. And I, I will tell you, after traveling uh, to different places, and for me, um, you know, uh, I, I I know the people at the gate here in uh, Grand Rapids where I leave. Um, they offer a great service, and uh, they're very nice to me. And, uh, you know, they've bent over backwards on several occasions to take care of a lost bag situation or or because uh, I'm at the kind of the tail end of not in a hub. And so often if your bag gets lost, it's not going to come back till the day the next day. And I have those folks call me up or, you know, deliver my bag right to my home. So so it's uh, it's really uh 
it's one of these things where you you uh, have loyalty to an account or to a company often because of the experience that you get. And uh, so uh, and so I, I don't want to be too uh, centered around my personal biases here because not everybody wants to have a great uh, customer experience. Uh, and and so we just need to tune the customer experience to whatever the customers are willing to pay for. And, uh, you know, sometimes there's a cost and you have to raise your cost to have better customer service. And so you have to find that balance there. And that's what it's often all about. But uh, uh, twas it me, I would always be, you know, uh, wanting to err err on the side of better service than less service. And we certainly all know um, and have interacted with uh, companies. And you'll see, uh, I'm going to talk about the kind of the customer service crimes here. And uh, anyways, uh, so if you're in the customer service business, we're going to first talk about some of the skills you personally could uh, work on to have a better uh, approach to customers and 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 creating a great customer experience. We'll later on in the next uh, next week. I'd like to talk about maybe some of the management things that you, you know the management organization can do. Uh, typically, it's a one two three um, kind of model for customer service or building a great customer service model. At the heart of customer service is always the frontline customer service. Folks, that is number one in the, that's kind of your number one piece. Uh, whether you have fancy technology or don't have fancy technology, somebody answering and taking care of a customer is a personal kind of situation often. And uh, because it is centered around a customer uh, and their personal experience, often that begins with a person uh, representing you as a company. So that's the customer service professional or the customer care person. It could be in your store, you know, the, the cashier or the salesperson or just one of the clerks, if you will. The uh, store employees, they're frontline customer service people handling returns and, and taking care of customer needs inside of that. So I, I don't want us always to think about call center employees as being customer service professionals. Customer service professionals are across a wide variety of people. In fact, some places, everybody is a customer service professional. I believe that to be true. I believe two things. One is if you're working in a company and you don't talk to customers, you probably need to look for another job. Like every person, and that, whether you're in payables or receivables, uh, management, uh, ownership, whomever you are, you better have some connection to customers in your company. And uh, because, again, at the beginning and the end of every day, and uh, you know it's all about customers, um, when I worked for AT&T, that was a rule. Every manager had to sponsor uh, three customer customers. They had to have direct relationships with three customers as executive sponsors or something on that order. And that was up and down the line. So, you know, the, um, the CIO, the chief technology officer had to have customer relations. And uh, so everybody, and I believe that's it's the, it's the old. We all have experienced this when you walk into the store and you're looking for you know the bars of soap that you need, uh, and you see the first clerk with the name badge on, and you say, "Where's the bars of soap in the store? I can't find them." And then they say, "Well, that's not my department." And so that's the basic um, the basic problem here is that 
every person needs to own that customer relationship. And anytime a, an employee or an, I won't say employee, but a store associate or an associate kind of has that attitude, then we've got a problem. That's that's the problem we're trying to avoid, because what does a customer feel? They, they feel like, well, of course, this is I'm the customer. This is your department. I don't know the department structure. I don't know anything about you, how you're organized here. I just see you represent the store and I need something from the store. Uh, I need some help. And so giving, uh, you know, here's here's uh, another <laughs> option. Well, we'll talk about that uh, later. But uh, another thing to consider is often the lowest paid employee in the store can have the biggest impact on those customers, that customer impression or that customer experience. So so uh, as a management professional, you you know, if you're owning the company, you're setting that example, you're helping uh, your uh, staff figure out how to treat customers. So um, I always say, you know, never, never, ever allow that to happen. You know, if you talk, you basically own the customer. You're if you're the first person to contact that customer, you kind of own it till it's handed off properly or resolved. But we'll talk a little more about some of those skill sets later. So like I mentioned, there's kind of three tiers if you think of customer service. First is that frontline, you know, customer service person, the first person interacting. The second one is the management structure behind that. Like what is the support, the training, the, the um, you know, what is the policies and procedures? How are you supporting your frontline folks that are supporting your customers? How are you empowering them to make decisions? Are you second guessing them when they make poor decisions? Um, how are you supporting and helping create a culture there of kind of learning and growing and, and uh, you know, getting better. Um, this is almost a never ending thing as we, you know, kind of lean into do better with customers. And I would say the third component is I would say the technical stuff, uh, the technical components. Now, today, there's so many different strategies around how we manage customer experience and customer service. And uh, so, you know, a lot of that is technologies. It's there's so, such a draw to reduce costs because a lot of companies feel you know the customer service is a cost and expense, and they don't look at it like uh, a positive thing. They look at it; it's really costing us a lot of money to take care of these customers. It's like uh, okay, you know, it's kind of, uh, th- that might not be the right attitude, but that that is um, so for some companies they want to reduce. The, the costs, uh, that's the big driver for a lot of what they do. And that's why we see uh, companies, you know, um, outsourcing their call centers and sending um, their call center stuff out, out there. Um, in many ways, we're trying to personalize a customer experience. That's the other part of technology is trying to really let a customer pick what the best way they want to interact with with you is if that's online, if that's through email, if that's, you know, through chat or whatever. And uh and the technologies that support all of that is pretty amazing uh, that's happening now. And um, just like any technology, though, uh, anytime, if it doesn't help the customer, it's really taking away from your business value, quite frankly. And so every investment you make in the technology has to improve uh, the customer's uh, experience and satisfaction and happiness. And if it's not doing that, it's actually hurting your business uh, and lowering the value of your business. When you look at uh, many businesses, the value of the company is literally based on the value of their of their customer base. It's not based on like 
Amazon, for example, a really good example. It's, it's not their inventory. They don't own their inventory. Um, they do have investments in IT. But let's say tomorrow somebody came along, let's say Walmart came along and made a better Amazon experience than Amazon did. Well, then all those customers would move over to another you know, platform and start you know, being customers with somebody else. This happens all the time. We talk about this in the past, customer churn. So it's not like you're operating in a vacuum. So the value of, of Amazon is so tied to customers and how many customers they have. And um, retaining those customers becomes, you know, job number one. And so it's not about necessarily getting new customers. It's about keeping the ones you have. And so customer service is one of those areas where this this is so this is so, uh, you know, correct. Right. This is such a part of uh, of the whole thing. And if it's not if it's not happening, if it's not uh you know, going well, then you're you're in trouble. You've got you've got some you've got some some challenges. All right. Anyway, so let's uh, let's keep uh, moving on here. We want to uh, let's talk a little quickly about uh, these tips that I've got for that customer service professional. And then we'll go into these other areas that I mentioned over the next few podcasts. But this is the first one that we wanted to talk about because uh, everybody that's involved in uh, customer service, this is these are like core principles that you'll want to be able to do. Uh, And so everybody needs to practice these. These are these are, uh, you know, very straightforward. So the the first one is active listening. You know, behind every customer, a service call is actually a real person uh, who has a question. So even though, let's say you're deploying a bot, (laughs) the customer is not a bot. The customer is a real person and they have questions or concerns that need to be answered. And that persons needs to feel understood and heard and served. So think about that. Like I, when I walk into a place, we can all, this is the, this is the one uh, thing that we could all do really well at understanding. We can really empathize with the customer because we're all customers and uh, we all have customer experience every day, whether we're going to a gas station, to our bank, we all know what um, being understood or heard uh, or served means. And this is what a customer wants at the core. They want to feel first understood. I got what your problem is. I understand your problem. And um, so active listening is really this skill set that you can develop um, with coworkers and family. And first of them is uh, to you know, pay attention uh, to that person. And um, one of the things that uh, is in a call center situation, if you're talking to a customer over, um, you know, uh, a call or you're looking them in the face is paying, literally looking at them. That's it. It's if they're coming into the store or into my place of business, it is literally making face and eye contact and listening, actively paying attention to what they're saying. And that is um, number one right there. That is making a personal connection, person to person, that allows us to let that person feel like they're being heard. That means um, not um, having a phone in front of us or a computer uh, next to us and, you know, uh, making a uh, eye contact with them intermittently and having our eyes dart around. It's literally just looking at them nicely in the face. 
<clears throat> with a pleasant smile and demeanor. It's not staring them down or anything like that, but it's just that sense that you're listening to them the way that, you know, um, you're uh, listening to your grandma. You know, your grandma has something interesting to tell you about something that that's a problem with her. And so you're you're going to listen to her. You're going to look at her and you're going to, you know, use your facial expressions to and it's just going to come natural. And so the first part of that is letting people feel that they're understood. And so active listening is a part of that. After they finish speaking, what you can do is make that clarifying question to make sure you understand exactly what they're saying. So that is um, saying something very simply. So if I heard you correctly, what you're saying is this and that. And then you repeat literally what you heard them say. Re, maybe recharacterize that and even put emotion. And so that makes you really not happy, right? And so you say, okay, I heard, I, I see that you're returning this item. I'm really sorry you didn't. So what you told me is this is the wrong size. Is that correct? You know, letting them or, you know, um, this invoice is $50 more. You weren't expecting this charge because the salesperson told you it was this and that. Like you're just retelling this. And I've talked about this in the past. <clears throat> it is it is the McDonald's drive through um, model of communication. It literally is just repeating literally the literal thing that you just heard. And, um, you know, McDonald's and all of the ordering that goes in uh, from the car, it's uh, you're over here. You're there's a kid in the background. There's crying children in the back uh, ground. There's they're they're um, they're crying. And uh, you're you know, you're there's there's one of your kids is back there screaming. And uh, the, the other kids are in the background um, talking. And then there's. So this is the car, and you're driving up, and you're saying, I'll make two hamburgers with fries and this and that. And, and you know, nobody can hear what you're saying uh, when you're when you're in the when you're in the background with all of that noise. And so sometimes there's miscommunication that happens uh, right away. And how you approach that um, miscommunication and discussion is really really important. Um, those those are the kind of things that are subtle. Um, and it takes a little bit of skill to develop, um, but what you're trying to do is just be let them know one you under, you're not um, you're not agreeing with them. You're not you're not taking a defensive like oh well we always do that or that's our policy. You're not there yet. You're just like you're at the what is up, like just what is happening. What is just let me understand what is happening. You're not taking any action. You're not committing to anything. It's literally just human kindness that is that you're having is what all that is. And, uh, you know, finish the conversation with a summary to ensure that you're on the same page. If you're doing customer service over the Internet and you're, uh, you know, there's a long dialogue that goes back and forth. Often folks will do a summary of this conversation. They will bullet point this. And then from there, you can have an agreement because that's what's happening. So you're basically finishing with a summary. So what I understand is the sales department said this was going to be discounted 47%. This is only discounted 13%. And um, that is not to your satisfaction. Is that correct? That is kind of what the what we're doing. We're summarizing this. 
and uh, it's it's again it's uh, without bias. It's without. It's just literally saying to that person, "I felt hurt," and there's a relief that they have personally will get that. Okay, somebody heard me. Somebody heard me. This is correct. And um, they've had an opportunity to kind of vent their grievance. And so this is important. If people are angry or upset or or whatever, you are literally just, um, you know, catching that the first time from them. And that that kind of release allows them to feel a certain sense of relief. And so that's a positive feeling, actually. So, yes, you may not feel like, you know, they're right or what they're asking for is reasonable or unreasonable. Those are other things to happen later. You're going to figure that stuff out later. But the first thing is to practice that active listening. We'll talk about bringing resolution to that. So that's number two. Um, that's what I'm talking about is learning to empathize with the customer. So empathy is really important. We talk about this as as a salesperson, this is the most important thing that you can do or one of the most important things that you can do is to empathize with customers. And uh, so as a customer care person, same thing. That was the experience they had in selling and buying the product. Now we're going to carry that through. We're going to emphasize that we're going to empathize. So We're going to emphasize empathy and uh, empathy is that ability again to understand how the customer actually feels, right? So empathy is not necessarily an acknowledgement of, of their, their, um, truth, if you will, um, let's say, uh, objective truth, if you will, um, like I mentioned, that's not my department or it's not saying, um, well, that's our policy right away. No. That's not doing any of that. You're not adding your color or like coming down and making a decision right now. You're not the judge yet. That's, that's going to come later. Again, we're, we're helping, helping the person go through this little bit of a cathartic process of unloading on you. And you want to say, I hear you. And so learning to empathize with the customer is letting know that, that uh, they're feeling and where they're coming from. While some people seem like they're born with this trait, it's really just a skill. If you really want to get into this, actually, empathy is really an interesting um, area of study. A lot of business study has been done. Um, uh, Bray Brown has uh, has done some amazing studies. I'll put it on the, the stack and the link um, on the podcast uh, notes. Uh, you can see um, uh, Bene Brown's uh, stuff on empathy, and she studied this. Actually, it's a lot of uh, very clinical studies that have been done about empathy and and what happens. Um, we have uh, studies that have been done by Malcolm Gladwell about the how suable a, a doctor is, and how um, and then somebody did a study in terms of how much the doctor spent time with the patient. And then how often they were sued, and the more time that somebody would spend in their um, in the in the appointment with the the patient, the the less likely they were to be sued. And so it's really interesting when you think about what's happening in that extra time. It is you're you're adding that extra color of empathy. Typically, is what was happening in those, and so it lowers your risk. 
And so some people are born with it. This is a skill. And um, there's a lot of things you can do to do this. Um, and maybe we should just do, uh, spend some time in the podcast later just talking about empathy. Um, but you want to basically try to imagine how it makes them feel. And so that's at the end of the day, that's it. That's just acknowledging their feeling. That is, again, this is a personal thing. This is somebody's got a person, they've taken time out of their day to drive over here. They've got 15 other things to do and they're coming into the store and they're making a complaint and they're going to, they're going to do some, they need some satisfaction in that. And so they've been thinking about this um, for some time and it's connecting to them. And so, um, and it's, they got other things to do. This is the last thing on their list that they want to do is return something or complain to the store. They, that's not, they've got other more important things to do. And, uh, so this, this is why acknowledging their, their effort and their energy is important. And, uh, so you just want to see the problem through their eyes and imagine how it makes them feel. I always just tried to think about it. This is my grandma returning something. And so that's kind of what I wanted to do, um, you know, or a, a friend or somebody in my family. Uh, <laughs> maybe your family isn't so nice. And so maybe that's not the person you want to think about. Uh, but if you don't know that person, obviously, um, you don't, you may not know them personally. So you're, you know, you're not trying to be fake at all. But uh, anyways, this is a skill. Um, uh, customers will be more receptive when they feel understood by you. And it's a way to de-escalate the, and, and create a more, uh, a more better, uh, enjoyable interaction uh, with the company. So just try to see the problem through their eyes. Imagine how it makes them feel. Customers are much more receptive if they feel heard. Okay, number three on the list. What is number three? What is number three? Number three on the list is, well, it is, what is it? It is this using positive language. That's right. So when you're attending to customer problems, using positive language takes away the stress from the situation. Words, you know, they mean things and they can create a trusting relationship with your customer. So verbs that can be used positively, for example, instead of saying, you know, don't hit the red button, say the green button is the best option. You know, it's just rephrasing. Uh, using future tense is also a positive. It doesn't dwell on their past issues. So phrases like great question, uh, I'll, I'll find that out for you, or I'd love to understand more about that, you know, keeps the customer in the present moment. So uh, just using positive uh, verbs uh, and uh, being positive uh, and memorable and stay calm, you know, even if they're angry, you know, those are the kind of things um, is, uh, you know, to think about using positive language. And so starting out to say it's not my department or we don't do that uh, can be easily turned around and saying, let me find somebody that can help you or, uh, you know, uh, let's let's uh, consider this from a different position or something on this order. You know, like you're thinking through the positive ways to uh, help that customer understand this the problem or situation, right? So, um, let me help you. Um, let's go find uh, that um, that helps put things in the present as opposed to helping the customer kind of get out of what happened. More like, what are we going to do? 
And so that's the, the, the kind of the, the tense and changing the verb tense to present and future as opposed to the past. You know, when you think about somebody when they first come in, well, this happened and they did this and this, they're telling you what happened in the past. And now you're trying to go, this is what we're doing now going forward. I understand you. Um, I think I understand your problem because I'm, I'm telling you that I'm empathizing with you. And now I'm going to take it a positive action to move things forward of what we're going to do today right now to help you move forward. And so that's kind of the that carthotic process of the journey of loss and gain that people go through. This is what I'm saying. There's a little psychology here that's going on when people have a when they when they injure themselves, you know, they they think of the pain of the past. And now, you know, you get them through therapy and the therapist is thinking is helping them envision change and uh, how they're going to, you know, be rehabilitated and get back to work or get back to, you know, normalcy. And so you're in that process. You're now the therapist helping them get to normalcy. So the, the problem is the problem. And now we're going to resolve. We're going to do something now. I can't necessarily fix the problem um, or I might not be able to make that bad thing go away uh, because it happened, but I am able to do some things that will help us move forward. Uh, so yeah, that's using that positive language. Uh, improving those um, those technical skills. So customers uh, come with all different kinds of problems and you want to answer their questions fast. But if you don't know how to properly you know, implement that <laughs> that stuff uh, inside of the systems, you know, you're going to be wasting valuable time. And so nothing, nothing makes uh, folks more angry, angry <laughs> when you say something like, well, the computers are really slow today or you get put on hold. So the technical skills that um, that uh, that you need to you know bring resolution is really important. Uh, so you need to master the technology of whatever you're going to be using to help resolve the problem. They become really frustrated uh, because it's more like, okay, well, this is this is what I expected. Yeah, you you guys don't care about this stuff. And so the longer you um, so if you're not able to enter the ticket in or able to find the receipt or whatever. Um, you're going to be wasting their valuable time. And so before interacting with that customer, you should fully understand how to use your systems and your technical systems and your ticketing systems. And, you know, <laughs> basically learn to type faster. But understand that when you're on and an onstage event with a customer um, and, and they're experiencing frustration, the longer you make them wait, the worse it gets. There is a uh, curve of frustration that is exponential. And the longer you wait, the worse it gets. And so, you know, if you need to ask for help, do it right away. If you don't know how to resolve this, get somebody to help you right away. Um, so, the, the speed time is of the essence because their time is of value. And so, Having that uh, that skill set is really helpful. So know your products and services that you sell. So this is another, you know, customer service professionals should have a deep knowledge of the products that they work with, the way they work, how they work, what they're doing. I'm a big advocate for um, this is why often outsourcing customer service seems initially like a smart idea, but in the long run, it's often a really bad idea from a customer um, standpoint. If you have a highly technical 
or complicated product that you're supporting and you, you know, folks need help, you know, those offshore folks don't know uh, the product and you're just relying on some sort of documentation, you know, good luck with that. Um, you know, it's recommended that each each customer service spends time in onboarding with seasoned product specialists. They can ask questions and fully understand the ins and outs of the product. That way you'll be able to help customers when, you know, they're troubleshooting the issues and you'll know the product tips and tricks and be able to make that that work a lot easier. I uh, recently uh, had to switch one of my phones over from Google Fi to um, AT&T for my my spouse, my wife. She, Blanca, uh, Blanca um, she was, uh, we have Google Fi. I've used Google Fi for many years. She has Apple phones though, and Apple phones don't like play nice often with Google Fi. And uh, so during the summer, we're in a spot up in north, uh, up in north Michigan, where there's really cruddy service. And so, you know, we needed to move her over to AT&T. So we needed to port her number over to AT&T. So from Google Fi to AT&T. So the AT&T person, um, God bless that woman. She stuck with it, but she didn't know how to do this. It just took forever uh, and uh, several hours actually uh, for this to to happen. It was because they didn't know the, the product uh, very well. They didn't know the Google product. And uh, so the porting the number over went wrong. And I've actually complained about this because they double billed me um, during that process. And then I had a call back up. I had to make the call to tell them that they double billed me and they still never gave me the right uh, credit. So this is one of the reasons I didn't know. I don't like at and But anyways, because you yeah, anyways. Um, so know your product and service. Uh, and at the end of the day, at the end of the day, it is number six on this list. Be human. Um, live chat, email, telephone communications can seem impersonal uh, because they are. Uh, uh, you, you can't read another person's facial expression and body language. Uh, customers want to feel connected. And so look for common ground to make a quick connection. So uh, live chat and all that stuff are great. Uh, they kind of reduce costs. They can often help improve uh, the speed of communication. Uh, and customers sometimes uh, would rather um, work with a chat bot on, on a website to ask quick questions, right? So that is customer service. Uh, but when things get escalated, you know, make sure you got somebody uh, that uh, actual human that, that can be spoken to. And, uh, you know, again, companies that are able to do this uh, are, are able to do a really good job at it, um, usually show that they can retain customers better. And so it's this is the um, this is that balance in cost and service. And, uh, you know, just looking at it like an expense and a way to reduce expenses by going, hey, we're going to have, you know, we're going to have a big um, basically paywall between the customer's and our people uh, by making everybody go through the website and the chat bot and then escalate, you know, some folks find that super frustrating and they're not able to get, um, you know, get answers right away. And uh, so this is, this is important to be human or allow folks to have that human kind of touch. And, um, you know, again, that, that, that's going to take different forms in different businesses, but uh, that's, that is what it is. People want to talk to people. And uh, every, you know, if your ROI is all about deferring 
um, and deflecting and not about caring, you know, you're probably in the wrong business. You know, <laughs> you're probably going to be uh, taken out of business by your competitors who do a better job in this. You know, because, uh, you know, the thing is, and I'll just say this, uh, the, the ROI of this type of stuff is very short term. We uh, be, look, I, I work in this business um, when an ROI is calculated often for when the term is deflection. So we use technology often to deflect somebody interacting with a real person because that real person you have to pay a wage for and there's insurance and children that have to be paid uh, for you have to put, you know, put kids in college and stuff like that. So that's a very expensive uh, and precious resource. And so and then we find, you know, they're answering questions repeatedly that could easily be answered maybe by a, a different piece of technology. And so, you know, there there is this ability sometimes to deflect um, through a website, through knowledge base articles, through a chat bot. Uh, uh, the the person's having to take the time of a, of a live agent. So that is true. That is true. But if my, my sole KPI in that is how many questions did I defer from a, a live agent and that calculates by ROI, well, what it doesn't actually calculate is after that, that chat bot, you know, uh, answered the question, did the customer stay a customer? What was the impact of that? Because uh, the chatbot may have given that person the wrong answer or they may got so freaking frustrated with the chatbot that they just ended the session. And you count that as, oh, I, you know, that person deflected a call from a live agent when they're just right now planning on how to drop your service. And so you're thinking, hey, this is a great ROI. Look, we just deflected all these calls when, in fact, you're just pissing your customers off and they're going and finding other places. And so often most organizations don't have enough metrics in their system to have the full picture of the customer's experience. They just look at that. Oh, you know, we the chatbot deflected 47 calls today. And so we did. We took 47 less calls. Look at all the money we're saving. 47 less calls. That's, you know, four hundred dollars we, we save because it's ten dollars a call that we, we pay to the call center. You know, look at all the money that we're saving. And then, you know, you find out that the, the chat bot and the knowledge base sucked and uh, the person was so pissed that they went to another carrier or another company. And, and your KPI doesn't take that into account. It just looks at the one number. And uh, so, you know, you have to, you know, if you're going to use numbers, you have to use all the numbers. And uh, so retention is so super important here. So. I, I'm just saying be human. That is a uh, that is a number or a, uh, a, a, a core belief of mine, obviously, is that when we're doing empathy, we're um, trying to be empathetic. That means being human. And, um, you know, uh, chatbots and all that are not able to really be human yet. They can give very specific answers to very specific questions. Great. They can give us access to printed knowledge base articles, but they are not human people. At least not yet. We haven't been completely, you know, the bots can't completely replace people yet. Anyways, number seven on the list. What is number seven? Number seven is communicate clearly. The ability to clearly communicate both verbally and in writing is essential to excellent customer service, especially if you're speaking to somebody who has a different native language. 
Uh, answers to your questions should be clear, concise, and in your natural uh, tone of voice. All right. So this is this is one of the biggest challenges today is um, because we have such a diverse environment that we're working in. We have people from all over the world in our companies. We have um, folks with different languages and different experiences and languages uh, and different accents. And so at the heart of this, it's what do we want to do? We want to clearly communicate verbally and in writing. So you have to kind of come up with a common, you know, most companies are English based, at least if you're listening to this podcast, it's not multilingual. But let's say your company is in you know, uh, is in, uh, you know, we're doing customer service in Arabic. Well, then you better have really good Arabic speakers. And uh, the folks uh, taking care of your customers at the front line should be really good at that. And that should be a skill that they learn and that they should be good at that. And so it's the same thing. If you're servicing uh, companies in America and you have a very strong foreign accent, Americans are going to have a hard time understanding that sometimes. A lot of people don't work in that diverse um, environment. Uh, and uh, so they they are not familiar with uh, working with folks that have different accents and uh, have a hard time understanding somebody that has a, a strong foreign accent and it becomes a barrier to good customer service. And so customers want an explanation. They don't want to know, you know, all those details sometimes. Uh, when it comes to, um, you know, all the specifics, so to speak, of what's the next thing that has to happen. They just want to ask if they ask for more details, you can share that. But most people want their issues resolved quickly. And uh, always in each each conversation, is there anything else we can do for you today um, as you work through this? Again, these are clear communication points. You're basically asking uh, customers closed-ended questions. questions. Uh, that's a very simple uh, way. So the more details that you, you get in these, more options, more decision tree components, the uh, the more complicated it is for the customer to kind of work their way through their problem using your decision tree. So um, if you're not familiar, if you're kind of uh, working on uh, just building something out from a customer service standpoint, a lot of organizations will build out what we refer to as a decision tree. And that decision tree is that map of the customer journey that says, if this happens, then they go to this department or they they have this problem. This is the reaction or, or answer that we have for them. So it's like a little, you know, find your own adventure path that somebody takes. And uh, so what that allows you to do is simplify the choices and the choice gates people have. Now, that is helpful at times. Obviously, you need people that can, you know, bend the rules and go beyond that and take care of customers and all of that stuff. But that becomes a framework or a guide for folks. So it allows you to basically ask very simple questions. So at the end of, let's say, an activation service, is there anything else I can do for you? Uh, today. And so they might have another question about billing or they might have another question or something like that. And so at the end of, you know, decision tree number one, there's now three different options that they most likely will be asking. Is there anything else we can do for you? I need to activate another line or I need to, you know, return something else like you need to be able to continue that conversation. 
And so it is a linear discussion. It is not, you're not working on three things simultaneously. It is a single linear discussion. And that allows people to communicate clearly in yes and no answers. And let's say if you're having a challenge as a customer service professional, getting people to understand you, um, this is one of the best techniques to use uh, is um, asking very close-ended questions and making sure that you're understood in those close-ended questions. So, so um, you know, clearly communicate the whole time. You know, one of the things that I like in the call center stuff right now that I love, actually, the probably my favorite feature that's come out in the last couple of years is, um, hey, we're going to keep your number in the queue. Can we call you back when you're good to go? And so I, I always accept that option. It's really good. Um, you know, um, I use it in, um, like I say, I'm a Delta uh, person. And so I had this recently. There was a big um, snafu with Delta a couple months ago that we had. And uh, it was a Saturday or Sunday night we were traveling, which is a super busy business travel night. And we were uh, going to miss one of our flights. And there was a mess up on the tickets and and so um, I had to escalate and it I was going to be on hold for about an hour and because uh, I'm in like the premium queue or whatever. And, uh, you know, so it's like, no, you can call me back. So I could easily go grab a cup of coffee. I could go, you know, find some power for my computer. I could orient myself and be ready for that callback. So I always take that callback. I like that. Anyways, so, yeah, uh, be clear and concise. Use your natural voice tone. Uh, so, you know, um, don't get escalated and really excited or too, you know, overbearing and, and angry, you know, you want to have that natural tone of voice, regardless of maybe your anxiety level or your anger or frustration with the customers. Customers want an explanation. They don't need all the details, uh, but they, they want an explanation of what's going on. And uh, always, is there anything else I can do for, for you and communicate your hold times? All right. Number eight on the list today is uh, be solution focused. You know, contact centers and folks um, that are working on the front line um, can be it's it can be uh, emotional. Of course, it is. Um, it can be really frustrating because you're dealing with people who are frustrated or angry. I mean, that is the job, right? That is the job. I I used to sit next to a gal. Um, that was a cubicle mate of mine and she handled our, um, so one of the companies I worked for, she handled customer support. So she was the tier one support person because she was the smartest person at the, at, at the company uh, relative to all the technical details of certain versions of our software that we had. And so she, you know, was a small company. And so she was, she was tier one. She, you know, all day, basically all people called her up was, hey, this database doesn't work or this transaction isn't clearing and is there a way, what's the best way to fix this? And so people were, you know, calling her, of course, there were, this was an accounting software primarily and shipping, you know, uh, distribution software. So stuff like orders being um, like locked up or the system not working was affecting that customer's business like very dramatically for the day. People were locked out of their system or whatever. So there was a, a level of anxiety that people calling in were, you know, had, they were really, uh, um, really confused or um, the high anxiety. And uh, so, 
you know, she, uh, this, this young lady, bless her heart. She, uh, she would always like, man, people, our software sucks, you know, and uh, people are, people are always mad. It's like, well, you know, the job you have is no one ever calls and says, Hey, uh, so, and so, you know, the software's running great today. No, all you ever hear are people that are angry and frustrated. There's thousands and thousands of other people that are really happy with what's going on. All you ever hear is problems. And uh, so, yeah, that's that's part of the this, the environment that you're dealing with, people who are frustrated. And so you as a customer frontline person, you know, you need to kind of find a Zen state almost. You need to find a like a mindset that is going to be a little bulletproof to their frustration or anger or anger. Um, you know, uh, so for so for your sake and for theirs, it can be helpful to adopt an approach that keeps you focused on the big picture and helps you stay resilient and determined to reach good outcomes. And so, yes, we're going to be empathetic. Yes, we're going to say, you know, I understand that you're frustrated. Let's see what we can do to help you out today. You know, we want to make our mission to find a solution to help the customer move from the problem focused mindset to a more positive one to not the problem, but the solution. Like we're acknowledging the problem, but now we're going to build a solution. And the approach is even more successful when the customer is in a good frame of mind to begin with. And so part of that is, you know, if you're making them wait online or on hold and they're frustrated when they get to you, well, that's a problem. That's going to that's part of the problem. It's not your fault that they're frustrated. They're frustrated already when they walk and start to talk to you. So the more you can do in person to disarm that, like the literally the environment that uh that that customer um, service takes place. It it can be like one of the things that's really interesting if you go to modern banking, like uh, this is kind of a trend in modern banks. A lot of modern banks do not have teller windows anymore. And that's, it's like really disarming if the first time you walk in, uh, one of my banks is like this. They don't have a teller window. The, 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 the folks are standing there waiting and uh, so they have like their cash drawer behind them and and uh, they, it's more like a table and more like a inviting like office, like it's a, like a cool office that you go to um, in Seattle where, you know, I work for Microsoft and in Seattle, there is a um, who is the bank? It is uh, it is Capital One has a branch bank office there in 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 uh, Seattle. And when you go into it, literally, it's like going into a Starbucks. That's the environment that they want to have, because this is what they're trying to do. They're trying to be solution focused, not problem focused. So they want to just kind of create this positive environment where we're here, kind of helping you with your banking money challenges. And um, you know, we're gonna we're gonna do some fun stuff. We're going to get creative. And so they're, they have literally a creative space to, uh, to, to make that happen as opposed to, you know, uh, coming in, Hey, I'm coming in for a loan application and you guys won't give me money. I need money for my, you know, anyways, you know, sometimes the banking environment and some of those environments can be so intimidating to a customer. Literally they were built for that to show power and strength. And so that's why they were made of marble. They need to needed to relay to their customers that they were they were durable and strong. And so all the banks, you know, kind of came from this world where the the bank environment was like brass and it was shiny and, and marble, you know, like we're stable, we'll be here forever. 
we're like a monument. And so, you know, it's not a great customer service environment. They make you queue up in a long line behind people. And so, you know, and you have the, the option to maybe talk to somebody, won't that be great someday? (laughs) You know, anyways, it's pretty interesting. It's pretty interesting. All right. Anyways, number, number. So be solution focused, be solution focused. It's like looking forward, staying resilient. Um, and uh, if you're in management, you know, it, help your people out with this, you know, be positive uh, when you, when anyways, we're going to talk a little more about that in the next podcast <clears throat> about how managers can help. But I'm going to just say this right here, you know, you want to you want to encourage your folks to be solution focused and understand that they're dealing with frustrated customers often and so you need to support your people 127% you know they're doing yeoman's work here uh, they are out there um, catching um, catching guff for you know mistakes that the company has made and uh, they're the ones trying to solve these problems and so um, let's help them out. Let's create a positive environment for them. Let's create positive incentives and rewards for them when they do great. And uh, I know a lot of you do that already. So, all right. So number nine on the list, and uh, some people are really great at this. Uh, some people feel like they're um, crossing. A, I am like this, quite frankly, uh, sometimes. <laughs> Uh, because of the legal challenges I have in my job from time to time, when you're a professional, when you're when you're considered a professional, uh, you have liability. And so if you admit mistakes, then, you know, you're exposing yourself to liability. But as as a customer service professional, uh, if you've misunderstood the customer's need or made an error um, or cost them time or failed to do something you say you would do, you know, be transparent stuff happens. Everybody makes mistakes and admitting to them is often the quickest way to resolve the situation positively. And if if the mistake is on the part of the business rather than something that you've personally done, you can still take the customer's viewpoints on board and be clear about what you'll do to help them redirect the situation. Be clear that whatever the problem, uh, however it uh, started, wherever it came from, that you're committed to helping them find a solution. You know, so like admit that, okay, that that doesn't sound right. Like that sounds horrible. Like I can't believe that our, our, our team did that to you. You know, we that's not um, something that we typically would be doing. So, um, you know, you you can admit mistakes. It's okay. It's okay. Companies screw up all the time. We lose luggage. We we uh, we we run over packages uh, and crush them. And you know, people make mistakes. Um, key punch errors are are happen. You know, somebody puts in a quantity of a hundred instead of ten, and uh, you know they overbill. I mean, this is the stuff that happens. It's it's okay. Uh, to admit that. And when you admit that, actually, for some people, that's all that they they want. That's all that they want. I I watched a a great movie over the week um, when I was sick last week. And so I spent a lot of time in my my room uh, isolated from my family. And and so I I watched a lot of movies. One of the movies I watched was um, Michael Keaton was in a movie, uh, didn't do really well in the box office. It was called Worth was the name of the movie. And uh, it was about the 9-11 fund, that, uh, the victims fund for 9-11. And it was for the thousands of people that had, you know, lost family members and how we were going to, you know, how are we going to as a country kind of take care of these folks from a kind of a, 
We can't sue all the airlines. All the airlines would go out of business. It's not all their fault that this all happened. And yet there is some liability there. And, um, you know, so how are we going to do this? Anyways, this this fella uh, ran uh, a vic- the victims fund. It was a it was a their lo- legal practice there. Uh, so part of the process was for them to interview different people and families and uh, to interview folks. And a big part of that entire process, uh, literally, they interviewed everybody that was affected. Every family victim had to have their story told. And they uh, apportioned that fund based on the needs of those families, not just on the liability component or some sort of wage formula. It was really complicated, actually, ultimately, what they came up with. But the important part that I wanted to talk about is, you know, basically being heard and helping people resolve that problem. And so at the end of an interaction or, you know, when you're getting to that solution, maybe this one should have been higher up is to admit maybe a mistake was happened. Like, I'm sorry, your soup is cold. You know, let's get you, you know, a better thing of soup. And, you know, we're not going to charge you for that, of course, you know. So, um, you know, if the mistake is is made, you're just that frontline person dealing with it and you're bringing resolution. So you, you're not necessarily admitting you personally screwed up, although that's fine too. If you did personally screw up, if you're the business owner, it is okay to admit you screwed up. That is fine. It lets people um, kind of get that relief. Like, okay, we made a mistake and that's fine. They're admitting that there was a problem and that this wasn't right and this wasn't fair. And that helps them kind of close that door and go, yep, they heard me. A solution is coming and I feel better. And that is how we retain. And so um, that is how you close the door, so to speak, or help a customer close the door on a bad experience. If they have had a bad experience, you basically want to um, have them walk away in with two things. One is I was heard and I felt like they resolved the problem to my satisfaction. And number two is I'm, I'm just shutting that door. Uh, it's 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 closed. You know, it's like, uh, you know, uh, having all these windows on your desktop open up. You're basically clicking the Xbox on the top and it's closing the there the X, little X button. It's closing that window. It lets them kind of close that down and they don't have to worry about that. And they can move on with their day. And so it's like giving people closure. So admitting that you had a mistake and, um, you know, willing to learn is uh, really helpful for, for your customer. Because, again, it is about them. It is not about you. It's not about you. This whole situation is not about you trying to save money or reduce cost. It's all about you retaining that customer. Because, remember, if that customer walks out the door and never walks in your door again, you have to replace them with another customer just to stay even. And so you that's money sitting <laughs> right there in front of you when that customer leaves and they don't come back. You're, you're screwed. That's bad. You don't want that. And so you need to be willing to learn. And, um, you know, you need to be willing to learn. Uh, great customer service is no different than any other pursuit. World-class customer service representatives, you must be willing to work on these customer service skills and learn from mistakes. And so we'll talk about that next time uh, on our next podcast when we go through some of the challenges. You're like, so as a manager, how do I coach and keep track of these things? And how can I learn not only how to do better at customer service, but how can I, um, you know, 
uh, move the company forward by, you know, these were problems. So these are issues we need to fix so they don't happen again, you know. So it's not just taking care of customers now. It's like if we solve some of these problems, we just we will we'll defer uh, the, them to later. Uh, we're taking care of customers now in the future. So anyway, so all right. With that said, we're going to take another break and uh, we'll be right back after this really, 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 really important message. And we're back. Hey, welcome back. Hustleisthehack.com is the website. This is Pierre Hulsebus, your podcast host for today. And I hope you're having an awesome day as we continue our conversation about, uh, well, success and failure in business and uh, customers and all of that. And so I like to refer to this segment as the Pierre Hulsebus Rhombus of Failure. That's right. The conventional wisdom really is often characterized as a hindrance to creative thinking because it leads to deeply entrenched ideas that are rarely evaluated for their accuracy. And so it can be super difficult to change that once that stuff gets entrenched. Uh, So I love to reconsider conventional wisdom. It often leads to new innovations, actually. And so um, it's a little game I like to play, and uh, you can play along, too, is spot the crappy conventional wisdom game. And um, there is... um, there's an awesome um, podcast uh, slash um, um, uh, guy on LinkedIn that I that I love to listen to. Uh, it's called the Brutal Truth, uh, the Brutal Truth about Selling and Sales podcast, and um, they have some every day. They um, they they post up you know kind of one of these conventional wisdom kind of components, and and so I, I love to I love to kind of poke fun at that and kind of I don't want to say troll because uh, that's kind of considered negative. But um, I like to kind of look at that and kind of I'm like always the one that is on there making a comment about uh, uh, like um, like here's here's one uh, worrying does not take away tomorrow's trouble. It take away it takes away today's peace. And so at a personal level, that is true. That is true. As a Christian, I believe, you know, my future is based on a plan that uh, my heavenly father has built for me. And my job uh, is not to know all about that. My job is just to walk every day in um, the things that I know to be the right thing to do. And uh, so I don't really worry about uh, tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow has its own worries. And so I'm not willing, you know, so I, I, I get that. That's true at a personal level. But in your business, um, sometimes these can be counterintuitive. Um, so my, my idea is that, uh, you know, this is from a business standpoint, uh, not exactly the best uh, advice to take um, that uh, you you need to be worried. Uh, you should be worried. Um, Andy Grove said only the paranoid survive. If you're not worried about losing uh, or getting beat, you probably shouldn't be leading. Uh, this is advice I hope my competitors take. 
imagine a battlefield commander with this attitude. You know, yeah, you need to worry. You need to have, this is why they have four and five plans. This is why they have different out strategies. You, you need to worry. You need to put yourself in the creatively think, what is my enemy going to do? So when I come to uh, a proposal that I know is going to be competitive or an environment where I know I'm going to be competed against or um, a hostile uh, environment where I know I'm going to be challenged, I need to be prepared for that. And so th- some of that comes with worry. Okay, I need to worry about, um, you know, uh, not uh, not looking bad in front of a prospective customer. And uh, so does that um, take away a little piece for today? Well, I guess if I'm a moron, I can feel uh, <laughs> I can feel like, uh, OK, I'm going to not worry about be- doing a bad job. So I'm just going to do a bad job and not worry about it. Well, you're not going to have a job very long if you do that. So you do need to worry about doing a bad job. You need to worry about that. And uh, when you have uh, dealt with worrying about that, then you can have the peace and confidence that you're going to do a good job. And so I don't like that conventional wisdom. That is a bad piece of conventional wisdom and falls clearly within the Pierre Holsebus rhombus of failure. And uh, I have another one uh, today that I wanted to mention. Uh, Let me pull this one up here. Um, You know, uh, oh, here's another one. Don't ruin a good day today by thinking about a bad day yesterday. Let it go. Let it go. And so this is this is what I, um, you know, I, I often think, well, um, <laughs> this is where I just kind of kind of cringe because I want to comment on this so badly. And yet I don't want to be perceived as being a troll, but I'm going to be a troll today. And, and don't ruin a good day by thinking about a bad day yesterday. Let it go. And so this is this is how the sales meeting is going to go. When my when my sales director uh, calls me up and says, Pierre, uh, you had a really crappy demo yesterday. Uh, I heard that thing went. It sucked. And uh, you did very poorly. And let's talk about it. And I'm going to just tell my my sales director, uh, just let it go. Just let it go. Let's not ruin a good day by thinking about that bad day. Just let it go. Can you imagine that happening? No, that's not what's going to happen. You're going to get called in the carpet because you did a bad job and you need not to let it go. You need to take it personally and you go, all right, I'm personally going to do better. I'm personally going to commit to learning from my mistakes. I'm personally going to figure out how to not look, make the company look bad in front of a, uh, a good prospect. I'm going to learn from my mistakes. I'm not going to not let it go. I'm going to let it go later when I figure out how to get back in that fight, you know. And so this is a lot about being reflective. This is not a learning mindset. This is the mindset of somebody who doesn't care enough on their about their job. And so this is conventional wisdom that sucks. Don't ruin a good day by thinking about a bad day yesterday. Let it go. Now, I will say this. <laughs> I will say this. I, I have good advice for you if you're a salesperson or you go out and do customer visits. Always end the week on a high note. I'd like to, uh, part of my job, uh, my daily work that I do uh, uh, every day is to spend time with partners. And I, you know, these are folks that, uh, 
take our software and deploy it. And so they always talk about their awesome projects that they're working on. And so I usually try to have those meetings on Fridays. I hate I take those meetings on Fridays. I love to end on a high note, end the week on a high note, because then you're not, uh, then over the weekend, you're not thinking, man, that sucked or that was bad or whatever. You got a good, you know, <laughs> you can kind of let it go, so to speak. And then we kind of high note thinking, man, we are great. We are the best thing in the world. So I always say, you know, end the, end the week uh, on a call with a good customer and uh, they will, they will thank you for it. So uh, that is, uh, that is uh, two awesome pieces of conventional wisdom that if you follow them will lead you to a shorter, um, uh, shorter, um, uh, uh, let's say uh, career in sales. Uh, You need to own it. So this is the other one. That's kind of a, um, uh, let's say, uh, uh, let's say, I don't want to characterize it as a millennial idea or maybe as millennial because it is not millennials that have really come up with this, but it's something that's kind of in the air today. Surround yourself with people who push you to do better and be better. That's true. Uh, no drama or negativity, just higher goals, higher motivation, good times and positive energy, no jealousy or hate. Just bring out the absolute best in each other. And I am going to say that is the way that that conventional wisdom is accurate. Like surround yourself with people who push you to do better. Now, what I often hear from folks and you see on social media a lot is basically, you know, pick your friends. What we want to do is curate our our environment so that we don't have negativity coming at us because negative things are bad for me. And if I get negative feelings, then I don't have a good, you know, I'm I'm going to feel sad and I don't want to feel sad. And um, but, you know, there's some principles that are out there that are um, that are universal. Uh, We we help spurn each other on to good things. And so sometimes I might perceive this as negative because it is negative. Like I was saying, if I'm talking to my boss about a bad job that I did, I am I I'm going to get some negative feedback probably on on the performance that I did. If I'm a sales engineer and I'm partnering with the salesperson and my demo sucks, guess what? That salesperson is going to probably give me some negative feedback that you just blew this for us, you ding dong. Um, so this is the kind of stuff, you know, you know, and I don't have the choice of not surrounding myself with people who push me to do better. That that person is <laughs> it's going to be negative. It's I just screwed a sale, maybe. You know, they're going to be pissed. It's it's not fun all the time. And uh, so um, what I'm saying, though, here is you want to have you want to have at least be a constructive environment. And it is going to be negative from time to time. And you take that negative and you turn it into positive. You need to have that mindset of I'm learning. I'm, I've got a learner's mindset. Even after doing this for 30 cotton picking years, I still screw up. I still need to have that learner's mindset. And when I, re- I want to seek the feedback that might be perceived as negative. I don't want all good comments. I want some folks to come back and say, hey, this could be better. You could do this better. And uh, so, you know, you want to surround yourself with folks that can actually give you that negative feedback, that can sharpen you, that can help help hone you to be better. And so sometimes if we're so thin skinned and we just go, well, there's they're being mean to me. It's like, no, they want you to be better. They want you to do better and they're pointing out and helping you get some emotion behind being better, not just being complacent and going, you know, well, this is as good as I can do. 
Like that's not where you want to be. You want to be in the help me be better at this job. And so help me be better coach. And so the coach sometimes yells at the the guys the and the gals. And sometimes they're, you know, using negative reinforcement to go, you screwed up. So go take a lap. I don't like that attitude. You need to fix your attitude. You need to be more learning and you need to take responsibility for your mistakes. Like these are the things that, you know, a lot of people don't like to hear. They feel negative when you get them, but they are, if you have a good team, if you have good coaches, you are getting moved forward. So sometimes you need that. That's called accountability, people. Come on, let's move on. All right. That's that's it. And I'm going to, that, uh, that, that is, that is good. That is good. Those are, those are two pieces of, of, in the rhombus of failure uh, that, uh, it, that, um, you know, you want to keep, you want to keep there. They just challenge that conventional wisdom all the time. When it comes out, you want to challenge it. It's, I'll tell you one thing that I, I deal with every day that just really grinds my gears is, and this is a little bit of a rant. I'll just say the rant. This is the rant part of my <laughs> the show. All right. This is the, the, the rant part. It is, um, customers and prospects that are always seeking references and uh, because, you know, you're trying to be creative and so you're doing something that's never been done before or you're trying to push people up to do something epic. And like, yeah, there's no case study for that. I work at the very bleeding edge of customer service um, companies that are trying to build something that nobody has done before. When I came to work at the at Microsoft, my whole goal here was to do epic work. It was not to just install stuff that worked, was to like take some risk and and find customers that were willing to um, you know, do some stuff and change the industries that they're in. And uh, there's no case studies for that. That's pioneering work. You don't you don't find a, a reference account from a competitor that's already done this, that has been working on it for five years. And now you're going, oh, let's adopt that idea. It's like you're too late to the game then. And so I want companies to go figure out, hey, what are we going to do in five years? How are we going to get there? Let, what can we do now to get us there in five years? That is the type of thing that I'm, so I'm always like, people are always looking for references and it's like, uh, I just get so, I mean, it's such a, uh, it's just such a thing. It's just such a thing. And uh, our companies like ours work really hard to do that and build, I love to hear the customer stories of success, of course. And, and, um, you know, but you realize that so much of this work, because I've seen the back end of that work um, and was involved in many of those case studies, like this is years worth of work and what they're showing today and what you're seeing as this kind of case study is, is been, been in the works for years. And, uh, so it's not just a, Oh, buy this software. And then it, it just happens. There's a, there's a whole bunch of other things that happen organizationally that, that went along with that. And, uh, and, you know, you can be leaders or followers, you know, I like to talk to companies and folks that are trying to be leaders and do something that has never been done before. So that's maybe just me, but this is why I like to challenge conventional wisdom because that, that wisdom is a lot of false assumptions that are based on, you know, assumed to be true and they're not always true. So I know that's kind of weird. All right. Anyways, let's uh, move on here to the the next uh, part of our little show here. A little show. Let's go to the awesome stack of stuff. 
a stack of stuff here, which is uh, uh, what is happening out there. Things that are looking forward uh, to uh, to the uh, the next kind of what's going on out there. I find to be very interesting and and forthcoming and kind of the shape of things to come. So the first one I put up on the stack is uh, a blog article that was just a few days old, um, just a something that I saw in passing, um, but it was about the youngest 13-year-old young man um, in, um, in India that um, uh, his dad was uh, learning to be a, um, get his uh, AWS certification. AWS stands for um, Amazon Web Services. And so um, there's different certifications. And um, the young man basically sat next to his dad as the dad was watching his training videos and he desired uh, to go ahead and do that. And guess what? He, uh, he, the kid uh, went ahead and took um, the, the, the course online, which many of, and all the companies now do this for free. Uh, it used to be very expensive to do this kind of training. Um, he basically became the youngest child to um, pass his AWS Solution Architect certification exam at 13 years old. And uh, I think this is just very interesting at many levels. One of them um, is this concept that uh, I, I don't think many of us are realizing the shift in education uh, that is occurring where so much of all knowledge of all of written uh, uh, stuff is now available online. So uh, there used to be huge paywalls behind these certifications. And in my industry, certifications are a big deal. Um, certification is a big deal because it basically says it's like your law certificate or getting some sort of degree or something like that because the uh, business changes so quickly the certification exams that exist from the manufacturers so like amazon or microsoft or google they all have certification kind of components to them salesforce and once you take that class and you go through that you're you know you're basically qualified at an entry level in that you know, uh, condition. These um, tests are hard, very, very hard. They use very uh, modern, um, I'm telling you, believe me, I take, I, I have some tests that I take four times before I pass them. They're very hard tests. They're not easy to pass. And uh, so when you pass them, it's a pretty big deal. And so here, not only uh, was a, a young person able to go through that entire thing, apply himself to it, and get certified, uh, he did that online without having to go to a class. Like I said, we I, we used to have to go to boot camps or uh, have uh, instructor uh, teaching, instructor-led teaching. These types of exams take weeks and weeks, 40 to 80 hours, contact hours with an instructor. Uh, and so you're uh, you're able to do that online now. And the other part is I love the fact that he did this in India. Now, India is, of course, very progressive in terms of their ability and their education system. So it doesn't surprise me that this young man was able to do it. It just uh, from an American standpoint and from my you know little uh, corner of the world, the fact that anybody in the world can go and um you know, and use those kind of resources online is actually really encouraging to me. I work so much with young kids in Africa and their internet access is so bad that they don't have this opportunity. But here this young man was able to have good internet service and able to take all these classes online and pass his certification exam. Um, He's ready to be an entry-level AWS architect. That's pretty cool. I think that's awesome. That is awesome. Now, 
two articles came up this uh, week, one in ZDNet and another one in the Wall Street Journal. And it is all about managers and companies basically hating their IT departments and getting rid of the IT departments. Uh, And what we're seeing, I'm telling you, this is really, really interesting managers and um, a lot of companies are really losing confidence in their tech team. And that's um, what's happening is the uh, because IT has become so tied into the value of the business and the processes of the business itself and businesses itself that the IT departments that are not looking at business value and what they are delivering and being tied into the strategic goals of the company and um, helping become a lever to um, advance the company's value and acquire and retain more customers or be more innovative when they're just there basically to host and manage the IT infrastructure, they add very little value to that. More than half of the uh, IT leaders surveys said they were uncertain that their IT team, IT team could bring about positive change in the department in the next five years. Almost one in five are reporting significant doubts or no confidence whatsoever. And uh, this is because, again, um, so much of the infrastructure now needed to um, support um, IT um, services internally are it's actually a lot easier to do it than it used to be uh, because the software that IT runs on, um, a lot of it doesn't need to be in the building anymore. And so the, a lot of the IT departments, it was all about the infrastructure of delivering uh, applications to the desktop. And now applications are delivered to the desktop just through a web browser. And so you don't need to have a, uh, a server sitting in the back room anymore to uh, make your applications work. All, most all business applications uh, are moving and have been moving to the cloud. And so I don't need an IT infrastructure that's as sophisticated as it used to be to make that happen. And so uh, now that business value of the IT department, making sure the applications are up and running, they don't have to do that much anymore. They just have to deliver internet and printing services to the desktop. They don't have to deliver um, other components, um, at least with the new company. And what's happening is a lot of new companies are able to outperform legacy companies because of this. They can lower their IT costs by literally not having that IT department much anymore. If you can run your complete application stack on the web, you don't need an IT department to manage it anymore. So it's crazy. I just need an internet browser. That's it. It's crazy what's happening on the tech side. And uh, a lot of companies are really getting caught in the, in the, in the middle here. Uh, and uh, you should basically uh, take, uh, take note from what's happening in the government right now, the United States government, the whole thing of this Jedi project, that is what is going on there. That is exactly what is happening there. That Jedi project is to take all of the on-premise managed applications that that the Department of Defense would run in their own data centers and move them over to be managed by companies like Microsoft and Amazon and Google and Oracle in their data centers and have the entire infrastructure then be able to be managed by somebody else. 
and the outsourcing that entire stack of applications. And this move has been going on for a long time. Some companies are so, if it's good enough for the, you know, the FBI to be able to be in the cloud and then your company, you know, IT guy is saying, well, you know, the cloud isn't secure. It always goes down. It's like, dude, if it's good enough for the Secret Service, it's probably good enough for us, okay? So this is like the confrontation that's happening uh, in companies where the IT departments do not want to give up that control and they want to um, kind of still manage it and be a, a critical part. So as an IT professional, you need to start thinking of business value. What are we doing that relates to the business side? It's the same thing when I was just talking about um, how customers are so key to your company. That's the currency inside of the company. If you're a middle manager at a company and don't have a connection to customers, you're probably not doing a good job. It's the same thing if you're in IT and don't have an understanding of, of the value of your service and the products that you're putting internally, what is the value of printing services internally at your company? What is the value? What? How much does that cost? What is that? Reduce the cost of this and that. If you don't understand how the the business process works and how all those IT components work across the application stack, it's more than just hosting those applications. It's now providing strategic business value to the company. And if you're not having that kind of conversation, you you may want to consider a different um, key, key amount of work. So it's really in um, you, you need to focus on having good interpersonal skills and uh, or organizational diversity. And uh, you want to identify the key challenges that you're having around things like the financial services that you're doing, having an IT workforce that's more diversified people. I mean, I've been in this business for a long time and I can tell you that IT is the worst at this. And and part of it, I mean, I'm not going to get into all the reasons before that, but the IT workforce has to be more diversified in race and gender, disability, um, all of the other marginalized groups. Everybody should be equally represented in your IT department. Organizations need to use different strategies to attract more women uh, into that and the increased focus on problem solving and some of the social challenges that the company is dealing with around culture. These are the things that you need to start to do. Now, once you start to see these applications show up like Teams, for example, or Zoom, that's a new culture, man. And that's a whole new like uh, instead of it being the um cooler uh, and uh, the, the the water cooler where the discussion is now you're having the discussion in a totally different place and so as a as an IT infrastructure organization you need to move with the change and and that's uh, one thing I talk about often is move with the cheese right that's the one thing that we need and so um, for in the Wall Street Journal they they their big article this last week, was, uh, you know, IT is an island. IT is asking, acting more like an island. And um, the compute is now the computer department. You know, it used to be just called the computer department to keep everything, you know, organized and make sure, you know, all the files were secured. And it has to be, you have to deliver way more than that today. 
you need to have partnerships with the business leadership and um, and uh, you need to be this is where innovation can come in your organization and if uh, you're running a company you need to start to look to your IT and start looking at innovation that can come from the IT group and uh, and uh, and and uh, grow your business that way find new business opportunities in the um, the way that you do your business so Anyways, so those are two really awesome ones. And um, the last one I will end on is uh, from TechCrunch last week was another one was Uber. Uh, and so Uber uh, has is kind of like the gadfly in business, right? They are like, they're, they come up a, a lot in different business conversations all the time because they became a model for of how to basically run a car company without owning any cars, right? How to run a, uh, a ride hailing service without owning one vehicle and uh, basically be able to recreate that business and all around the world. And Uberizing your company has, you know, has comes up in every kind of business conversation today. How do we Uberize this service? And, and how do we, you know, leverage the gig economy, all of this kind of stuff like this is what happens. And uh, so I've been, you know, um, working on these different projects for years. This, you know, this isn't something that's new. Uh, Uberizing a business has been been a conversation that's gone on for six years or so at this point. Um, once they kind of proved their business model would work. I don't know if they, they turn a profit yet or not. I don't know if they're there yet. But anyways, anyways, so Uber, guess what they're doing in Belgium? Shutting the doors shutting the doors. They are closing the, they're going to shutter most of their services in Belgium after a court ruling. And so there was a court ruling that went not their way. And um, it really follows a lot of the suspension of the business service that they started in Brussels a couple of weeks ago. And uh, it was really unprecedented for them saying it's only uh, taking a step to protest the lack of reform of the rules that prohibit drivers from using smartphones. And so, you know, obviously, if you're an Uber driver in your car, you need to have a phone in there. And so one of the the ways that the the Belgium uh, taxi cab companies uh, have uh, basically been able to eliminate Uber is uh, hey we don't we don't we don't use phones we have our little hack computer thing in there and so we're not using our phone and so they have you know the the taxi cab companies have their little dispatch computer in there that doesn't qualify as a smartphone and so because it's not permanently installed um, we're they're all exempt from that but of course Uber drivers all have their phones they don't have permanently installed computers in their system and so basically this law is just targeted to Uber. And um, this is the the point that I, I want to make about about um, this whole thing is that when, if you're considering and thinking about Uberizing your business um, and what when we talk about Uberizing the business, what are we really talking about? That is taking your product or service and figuring out how you can kind of outsource the delivery of that service to somebody else and to kind of eliminate your infrastructure and focus more on your customers and how to get them and retain them. And But the actual delivery of the service is done by a different company. And that is, you know, that's a business model that Uber's done. And so um, if you're, let's say, a big retailer and you're saying, hey, we want to do uh, we want to do appliances, we're going to sell appliances. And so you sell them appliances, but you don't actually do the installation. You just want to sell them and you contract out for the, um, 
for the installation of the service. So you kind of put a bid board out there and you have kind of these approved contractors out there. That's Uberizing your your business at a very basic level. Uh, you can take that all the way up to, you know, branded installers, but even though they don't work for you, the, it's a cadre of a lot of different small businesses around the area that can do the services for you. Um, Uberizing business has been around for actually a long time. This is how the trucking industry worked with uh, independent contractors for years and years and years. So this actually was not a brand new concept. It just wasn't done in the taxi business uh, in, until then. But nonetheless, what you find very quickly is that it is not the technology. A lot of folks want to focus on the technology that Uber uses uh, and the way that the Uber system works around customers. And we have these apps and it's an app driven kind of model. And that really is cool. And they have that ability to basically everybody gets paid and the system dispatches. And, you know, it's basically an app based, you know, user experience for everybody. And so that infrastructure is low, just like we were talking about Previously, they're the ultimate like IT infrastructure is all around business value and not about um, just, you know, hosting applications and delivering desktop um, experiences to users. It's it's a lot different than that. And so what is going on there is that the barrier to success is very has is not the technology. This is my point today is the barrier to success is not technology. It is legal. Typically, it's legal issues and people issues. That's usually the barrier. And I've seen projects start and fail, not because of the technology. We've successfully deployed technology to to uh, do this, but it is not the technical side. It's the customer side. Uh, and uh, the, the 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 customers in Belgium, I, they don't they, you know, they, they that that competitive market that they're in there, that market is saying, no, we don't want to have Uber here. So it's not a um, it's not a technology technical problem it is a legal problem and really legal problem uh or or environmental kind of issues around the the customers themselves in in those areas i actually am in an area where i don't where i live is just outside of town and so um if i try to call an uber i I can never get an uber nobody comes out here to my neighborhood so I never get i rarely get an uber uh if i need to go to the airport it just doesn't happen and uh, so anyways, I, I just want to make that point is that um, companies looking to uh, Uberize parts of their service need to consider the technology as the secondary component and um, as part of their business. The biggest barrier that you're going to have to success is adoption. And if you can't get it adopted, if you can't um, legally operate in those frameworks, if you don't have the legal kind of understanding of one state to the next states, um, let's say, um, labor laws. I'll give you an example. Um, I worked for a company, a very large retailer that was looking to do home um, um, theater installations. And so they successfully piloted a Uber uh, bid board system using our stuff. And um, it worked really well. And they picked one state to, you know, to do it in and one kind of municipality area in that city. And it worked really great. And they and the customers loved it. And uh, because they were able to get things very quickly, that was the the benefit of this was 
um, you know, with a with a flexible workforce and it's kind of the market sets the price uh, kind of model. Now, all of a sudden, I can um, find people to go do work in the middle of the day that I, you know, typically would have had a pre-hire people for and have them sitting around waiting for work. And now I can just kind of I can um, base my um I can get services done based on the demand of the time and and uh, kind of do surge type pricing and different different ways to get more folks when the services are needed. And uh, so that's great. Plus, I could I don't have to worry about like doing installations, schedule something out next week. I can just get stuff done today. So um, the techs would just come and pick the stuff up. The guy would just meet the people at home and stuff would get installed this afternoon. And it was great. And everybody was happy and everybody was loving it. And then they said, okay, this is great. This is just awesome. Now let's go do this in Arizona. All right. So then we go over to Arizona and Arizona's laws around, nope, those are not, those aren't independent contractors. Those are employees. And, uh, you know, when they check the bid board at night, they're actually on the clock. So they're hourly employees because they're receiving more than half of their income from you. And so you're actually their employer. So they're not gig contractors. None of them are set up as LLCs. They're just 1099 people. So, you know, you can't treat that. And so they ended up with, and so they they weren't ready for that. And then when they went to other jurisdictions around the country, they had totally different labor laws all around the country and different ways to deploy things. And so, you had, you know, it was not a barrier. So the, the project failed. The project failed and it had Zipola to do with the tech. The tech was great. It was all about the legal side and the people side. So um, the if you're looking to Uberize, you, you got to address that as as to me, in my mind, is, is one of the biggest uh the biggest challenges that you're going to have. This is why Uber, wherever they do work, um, they have usually an office. Uh, I remember here in, in the West Michigan area where Uber, um, uh, a couple years ago, there was this really unfortunate issue or incident that happened where a guy um, just basically just um, snapped and uh, went on a shooting rampage uh, while he was driving his Uber around between rides, literally, and was shooting people and killed several people. None of his passengers. He didn't shoot his passengers. He would let them. This is just crazy. He would let them out and then he would like drive around the corner, shoot some people and then go pick somebody at another ride and then drive those people around. And then he, he did like this about four or five times uh, down in the Kalamazoo area. The, the Uber people were there like that night, like they're flying people from around the country to come. They already had an office here in Michigan, uh, several offices and several local employees. You know, they're ready to deal with the legal issues that were going to happen. They were way ahead of the game. And um, to go, this had nothing to do with Uber. And, you know, we weren't, you know, da, da, da. It's against our policies. Like they were, you know, they were making press statements and all of this. And they're already, uh, they're on the ball. That's all I'm saying. And uh, so the, it's really interesting, you know, the I'd love to see Ubers like how many lawyers they have on staff, because I got to imagine a big part of their um, them setting up service in, in different countries is is uh, trying to deal with all those regulations. And that's good, bad or otherwise. I, I You know, I've talked about being a little bit of a libertarian, so I, I kind of really frustrated with a lot of this kind of stuff about how the, you know, you can't sometimes, you know, just. People aren't allowed to work like they like to or, or whatnot. But nonetheless, there you go. That's that's the challenge there on the the good old hustle is the hack. Uh, you know, if you're going to think about Uberizing, you got to think of the law 
Got to, got to, got to get that legal, get that legal advice in there. Get that legal advice. All right. Well, guess what? It is the end of the podcast. I am, I am spent. I am spent. You, uh, hopefully you've had a great couple hours and uh, we, we've learned some stuff and you, 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 you acquired, identified and retained some new information today. You've learned how to not be in that rhombus of failure to, uh, you know, do some good stuff. You learned a little bit about the pyramid of greatness and how to acquire, identify and retain that most valuable asset that you have, which is customers. And, uh, you know, I said it here a little bit about, uh, you know, not being so worried because you know what? You're a promise. You are uh, doing a great job. I want to tell you this as your coach, I'm telling you, you're doing a great job because you're listening to this podcast. So if you're listening to this podcast, you're doing a good job. You're starting with that listener, that uh, active listening, that growth mindset, and uh, you're doing all the right work and uh, keep, keep it on, keep on going. Because, uh, you know, it's all about the hustle sometimes. It really is. It's just about getting out there and uh, being consistent, showing up every day, being faithful, available, and teachable. And you'll get there. You'll get there. Promise. All right. Well, I'll talk to you guys next week. Have a great week.